This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. So, good morning again, and happy Sabbath. Uh, I, I know there are some new faces for me. So I know I don't, we, have, we have some members here that don't know me. So I'm John. I'm a chaplain at Celebration. Uh, so I know Wanda. And uh, let me see, what else I can tell about myself that might be relevant? I don't know. There's my wife. And, um, and my two kids, Megumi and Abiella. Uh, what else I can say about me? I, uh, I, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Um, there's not really much I can say. What you see is pretty much what you get. Um, but the title of my sermon today is When God Says No. And I, I, I don't know how many of you like to hear no. Does anyone really like to hear no? No? You know, I, there was a, a, a man, a young, a young man. He, he can't really say he was that young, but he was an experienced salesman. And he would say, you know, for sales, it's really like a science. It's mathematics. You go through no's and you will get a yes. It doesn't matter. You don't even have to be a good salesman. You just go through it. You will get X number of no's and you will get a yes. That's just how it works. But that doesn't make it any easier to get no, right? As a matter of fact, I can tell you a story of another young man um, that he was so nervous so anxious uh, in, in proposing to this, this young lady that he wanted to be his wife. And he did not want to hear no. So, so you know, you see all these wonderful pictures of people, you know, uh, making these, one, these beautiful proposals, you know. And this young man, he was not like that. He wasn't going to go to all those lengths and get no. All right? There's no uh, treasure hunt, none of that stuff. No, find the ring in a cake, none of that stuff. He, he liked to know the answer. So what he did, what he did, he called up his uh, girlfriend, and the conversation went something like this. It went something like, uh, he asked her a hypothetical question. <laughs> question went something like, if I were to ask you to marry me, what would you say? So he got the desired answer, <laughs> and then he got the ring. <laughs> so I guess if she refused after that, it wouldn't be an embarrassment to him. <laughs> All right? He wouldn't really be receiving the no. But that worked out anyway, so 21 years later, they're still married, <laughs> and they have two kids. <laughs> And she has put up with me all these years. But that's sometimes the lens we go to, to avoid a no. And as children, we find it really hard to say no to our kids. You know, because we love them. We care about them. But sometimes they need to have that no. Because that no is necessary. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for, for loving us. For, for being with us and 
Lord, and just for embracing us. Even when we receive a no from you, uh, we know that you will continue to be with us. So guide us as, as we study your word today, as we seek you. Uh, touch our hearts, soften us, Lord, and, uh, and give us uh, the healing that we need. We all at times need a special healing from you. So I pray for your guidance and your blessing on us. Uh, even as I speak, Lord, fill me with your words and not mine. And anything I should say, Lord, uh, that's not according to your will, I pray in some divine way you block it that it does not stick because I am I'm human and I have faults and weaknesses. So I, I pray that you will guide my words and whatever is said will be according to your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. So... Our scripture reading is taken from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll read it through. Verses 7 to, to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. And some translations are a little different. And that's all right. Because I, I have my own special translation I'll share with you after. It says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then... I'm strong. You know, Paul, as an apostle, went through a lot of difficult circumstances. You know, in, the, in, chapter, in chapter 11, he is defending his right to be an apostle. Because at this time that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, at this time, the, you know, 1 Corinthians... Paul is rebuking them for the way they are living and, and the way they have let sin creep into the church. And so Paul rebuked that and he corrected them and now they're having a different issue. You know, sometimes when we, when we have to make correction, then uh, people begin to seek, well, I didn't really like what he said. Could you like say something a little different? So they're listening to other people, all right? They're listening to other people who are claiming to be apostles, and these people are leading them astray. And so Paul is defending his ministry as an apostle of Christ. And in doing that, he's saying, you know, I was beaten. I, was, I did all these things. I am the, you know, if there are Jews, I am the Hebrew of the Hebrews in, in, in some sense. Because he has stood up for Christ in so many ways. But when we look at verse 7, it says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. And what revelations is Paul talking about? These are actually in verse 
from verse 1 to 6. And he says, uh, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Uh, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man who in Christ, he's speaking in third person, so he's talking about himself, just as I did in my introduction. All right? I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet, of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me more than what he sees of sees me to be or hears from me. So Paul had this vision. He had this experience, this divine experience where he heard and saw things that went beyond anything else any apostle could compare themselves to. Any of the so-called apostles that were vying for the Corinthian allegiance, if it were. And he's saying that less I should be exalted above measure of the revelations. That what? What was given to him? What was given to Paul? What does it say in the, in the Word, in the Scripture? I hope you have your Bibles. Well, in verse 7, we're looking at verse 7. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. All right? He was given, he got this beautiful revelation, this beautiful experience from God, and then he received a thorn in the flesh. Does that seem to make sense? Does that seem fair? That God gives you some special gift, some special ability, and then you receive something that hurts, something that's difficult. You see, for Paul, we wonder what this thorn of the flesh might be. And some people believe that the thorn that Paul received was uh, actually related to his sight, that he had problems with his sight. And I know in the, in the book of Galatians, uh, part of it that lends to that idea is that Paul had mentioned, he said, I know that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given me, right? So that, that maybe gives us a hint that he had a problem with his eyes. And could you imagine how much more successful Paul is thinking? My ministry could be if I didn't have this problem with my sight. So Paul had a real issue, a real problem with his sight. And it was a thorn in his flesh. Some, some also reasonably say that the thorn in his flesh could have been the experience that he was having uh, with the Romans or even with his own people. You see, that thorn in your flesh could be anything that is preventing you from being successful in your ministry as you understand it, okay? But it was given to him. Why was it given? Why was it given? What does, what does verse 7 say? Lest I should be exalted above measure. It was given in order for Paul to remain humble. You know, sometimes we think that our gifts, as great as they are, 
are, are just perfect. We will not have a problem with them. And then we rely on our gifts and we forget the gift giver. And we forget our humility because we have the gift. You see, the fact is, is that Satan is going to attack us anyway. He's going to attack you anyway. From the time you decide that you are a child of God and you have chosen Christ, Satan is your enemy. He was going to attack you anyway. It's just that the difference is, is that before you were doing it yourself, so you just made his job a lot easier, right? Before you accepted Christ, you were just doing it, you're making his job easier. So he wasn't so worried about you. But from the time you decide that you are a Christian and you have chosen Christ, then you already, you have a clear enemy. And what God does in his mercy, some things he knows, some of our gifts that we have, he knows will become stumbling blocks for us. And he allows Satan to attack us because it will be for our benefit. Does God really want us to be attacked? I don't believe so, right? But God knows who we are. And God knows that if sometimes things do not drive us to our knees, we will run away from God with the gifts he has given us. We will become like thieves, taking away God's gifts and using them on ourselves. Now, that has never happened before, right? Yeah. And so here is Paul. Paul is saying, this thorn in my flesh was given... It was a messenger from Satan to buffet me or to beat me. You know, let me, let me read my, my special translation of this passage. I always like to translate from, from the original language uh, because I always find something interesting when we, when, we use, when we go back. And if I were to rename this entire passage, I would say, in order that, this is what this is really called, and you'll find out why. So I've tried to make it as literal as possible and still readable. It says, therefore, in order that I should not be exalted by the surpassing greatness of the revelation, to me was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, in order that it should assault me, in order that I should not exalt myself. On account of this, I prayed or exhorted or beseeched the Lord three times in order that it should fall away or depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is fulfilled or completed in weakness. I will gladly then boast in my weaknesses in order that I should dwell in or on the power of Christ. Therefore, I am well pleased in weaknesses, in insults, in wants or distresses, in persecutions, even difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I should become weak, at that time I am strong or able. It is in order that. It is to do something further in our lives. And these thorns in our flesh can be, they can be family, they can be work-related you know, they, we experience financial thorns in our flesh. And I tell you, there's nothing quite sometimes like having a financial difficulty to drive you to your knees. You know? There's nothing quite like having a, a family problem that drives you to your knees. 
But if sometimes we don't have these issues, we just, we just live life without God. It's very easy to do that. So what is Paul's response? What is Paul's response to his suffering? What's Paul's response? Let's look at verse 8. What, is, what does it say? What does it say? Yeah. It says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Do you think that Paul just prayed three times? Just one, two, three, and say, okay, God, get rid of it? Do you think that's what, that, what he did? No? You know, because sometimes we think that, you know, okay, it's almost like three strikes, you're out. So, God, I'm going to pray three times about this. And one, two, three, and you've got to do something now, you know. But there were three times in the day that a Jew would pray. This morning, the afternoon, and the evening prayer. This, Paul made this part of his daily prayer life. And he prayed, as Jesus said, to always keep praying. He kept praying about it. So when we encounter difficulties, what should we do? We should pray. Turn to the Lord and pray. And continue praying and praying and praying and praying until he gives you an answer. It doesn't mean that the answer he gives you will like it. But you pray and you keep praying. You can't stop praying. So he prayed three times. You know what's interesting? Jesus prayed. And in the garden, in the garden, Jesus prayed. He was with his disciples. And what did Jesus pray about? You know, he said, he was with his disciples and he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed three times. And what was his answer? Did the cup pass? Jesus got a no. But that no got a salvation. Jesus was not a fan of suffering. He did not enjoy it. You know, sometimes we make ourselves our, our, our problems. You know, we, you look at the end of this, of this passage and it talks about um, uh, therefore take pleasure. And, and, you know, sometimes we take that to mean that we are going to talk about how bad our, our situation is. Sometimes we think it's, a, it's an excuse to say, well, you know, I have it so bad. You know, no one has had it bad like me. And that's not what that is saying. Take pleasure in your uh, infirmities. And I'll, I'll get to that. But Jesus prayed, asked God for help, and God said no. But that no brought us salvation. That no brought us closer to God. But even then, he was not alone. Even though he felt like he was alone on the cross, bearing the sins, my sins, the sins of the world, even though he could say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know about you, but I have felt like that. Why? Why have you forsaken me? What have I done? Why am I in this situation? 
whether it is healthly related or otherwise. Why? Why have you forsaken me? But still, by his grace, his grace helps us through. It is through that that we are able to grow strong in his grace. Because God's grace is not something that is weak. You know, we make grace out sometimes to be something that, that you get when you can't get anything else. And that's true in one sense. Because you get God's grace when you cannot do anything for yourself. And I think the sooner we realize that we can't do anything, the sooner we can be embraced by the grace of God and our lives can change. God cannot help self-sufficient Christians. He has not done it in the, in the Bible. You, look at, you really look through the Bible. And the people that God has been able to help most of all have been the weakest and the most dependent because he can't help self-sufficient people. They do not depend on him. They do not rely on him. They do not trust him because they trust themselves more. You rely on your answers. You rely on your knowledge. You do like Eve in the garden and, and you you assess the situation, you look at the tree, and you say, hmm, I know God said, but this is what I think. And you fall into sin. And when they are weak, and they are ready to give up, then God can help them. The same for us. When we are weak, then God can help us. God help us. So we need sometimes that experience with weakness. And he says, in verse, in verse 9, it says that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Not my own power. You know, there's, there's a saying that I hear in the hospital a lot, and, and you know, it is like partly true, but it really isn't. So God, I hear people say a lot, God doesn't give you more than you can bear. That is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. There's a principle to that that's kind of true, but not really. Right? Uh, you know, I won't go into like a Bible study about that, but really, that's not in the Bible. No, and it, and it related specifically to sin. Right? that God makes a way of escape, right? God does not tempt you beyond what you are able. So you're talking about going into sin, right? But here's the thing. Here's why I think part of it is true. God does not give you more than you can bear. Kind of true. The fact is, is that if, if, if you are bearing it, and hear me out, if you are bearing it, it's not yours, if it's too much for you to bear, it's not yours. If you really believe that, then you need to give it to him. So if it's overwhelming you, you need to give it to him. Does that make sense? Because that point, you are relying on his grace. But you will be, you will be carrying such a heavy burden. You say, Lord, I, I know you say you don't give me too much that I can bear, but I can't handle this because you have not given it to him. And you are letting it crush you, and you are becoming 
self-sufficient. And he can't help you because he's not going to fight with you to pull this burden away. You have to let it go. That's why I said it's, it's kind of true, but it's really not. It's not in the Bible. But there's a principle of it that's true. You know, when I think of people, you know, that allowed God, uh, that grew in God's grace, you know, people that allowed God to use them. You think of Moses. Think of Moses. You know, when, when Moses was strong and he was a, a prince, a so-called prince of Egypt, then uh, Moses, in his own strength, tried to deliver the Israelites. How many did he save? Zero. All right? It did earn him uh, exile, as it were, and, you know, he was a fugitive. That's what his own strength did. But when Moses was weak and tending sheep, and God came to him, and, uh, and it came to the point where God kind of like had to slap him upside his head and say, Moses, enough of that. I'm not taking no for an answer. Stop telling me no. Just shut up. Go get your brother. You're going to Egypt. You know? And Moses was not being disobedient, really, when he, was, when he was saying no to God. He was just so scared and humble. He could not imagine God using him. But he was still willing to go. All right? And so God was able to deliver what? An entire nation. An entire nation with a humble man that had trials. You want to talk about trials. There's a man with some complaints. You know, that at one point, he sends Aaron. You know, the people are disobedient, and he sends Aaron running through with a censer to stop a plague from, from spreading. And half the people on one side died. After the people wanted to stone him and Aaron and kill them. This is a humble man. The, the Bible testifies there was no man as humble as Moses. It's a friend of God. Spoke to God face to face like a man speaks with his friend. You know, I'm, I'm going to say something here. And I, I really want you to believe it because it's true. And I want you to see it. That is what God wants with each and every one of us. And it is available to you. It is available to you. You can have that same kind of relationship. That is not impossible. It is not. But did Moses get a no? No. Moses told God no first. You know. But when it was Moses' time to enter the promised land, after these people had just driven him up a wall, then it's Moses' time to enter the promised land. And, and he made a mistake. He should have spoken to the rock, but he hid it. He was sorry. Since then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O oh Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray. Let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But God was angry with me on your account, meaning the Israelites, and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up 
to the top of Mount Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. Did God tell Moses no? And that was a resounding no. That was the no that echoes. All right? But what did Moses get? Moses got an advance on eternal life. <laughs> Amen? So even though Moses did not get what he perceived to be what he needed at that time, God had something better. In his disappointment, God had something better. In your disappointment, God has something better for you. He has something better for you. You may not see it with your eyes like Moses was not able to see. He was only able to see the promised land. He could not step into it physically, but he entered the promised land. Amen? The promised land that matters. And so Paul says, you know, you, you think of Gideon also. You know, I, we could just go through these stories. If, you, know, you know, you think of Gideon. You, you think of Joseph and Mary, you know, so poor that when they deliver, bring Jesus, they bring turtle doves. Those are for people who are very, very poor. They had nothing. You know, and God is able to use them. For greatness. And what is Paul's response? He says, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses. That helps him to grow in grace, you know, in order that the power of Christ may dwell. You know that word dwell? That, that's to live, to tabernacle, that's to, to dwell, to, it doesn't just mean like to sit there, it's to live to become a part of you so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The power of, do you, do you know what? The, the power of Christ is what raises the dead. The power of Christ is what frees us from sin. And that will dwell. This is, this is what our trust in our weakness, when we're in our weakness and we trust in God and we rely on him, then he can save us. Because if, if you think you can save yourself, you do not need God's grace. You know? <clears throat> and so the conclusion in Paul's suffering, and he is suffering for the sake of Christ. And he considers this a good thing. Let me, let me go back here. I see our time is going. You know, he says, Therefore I take pleasure. You know this word, you say take pleasure, and it could mean take, take pleasure, but our word pleasure has a, sometimes has a different connotation. So a better word uh, is uh, embrace. Therefore, I embrace infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Embrace. And so you embrace it. You don't fight against it. You pray about it, but you don't fight against it. You don't make your life bitter because of it. And neither do you exalt that, you know, okay, you know, I'm, I'm very sick, so I'm going to complain about how sick I am beyond everyone else. That's not taking pleasure in your sickness. You know, some people take pleasure in sickness, and it's really not a healthy thing to do, all right? but you embrace it because you can see God working. 
in, even in your sickness. Because you can see that through that illness, it brings you closer to Christ. It improves your relationship with him. There was a lady uh, who was blind. I, I had just started visiting uh, as a chaplain, and I met this, this, this older lady, and she was blind. Didn't realize she was blind at the time. Um, but as I started talking to her, I realized that she was. And she s told me how she got blind. But she also told me before that, you know, she would go to church, and she regular attendee of church. She had her grandkids and uh, kind of did everything okay. If you saw her in church, you wouldn't think anything. And so she came to church, and, and then um, she had a stroke. And after her stroke, she recovered, but she lost her sight. In one day, darkness came. In one day, she had a thorn in her side that would not go away. And she prayed about it. And she was angry with God. You know, I, you know, I, I think it's all right to be angry with God sometimes. You know, He knows you're angry anyway. You can pretend you aren't. So the least you can be is honest, you know. And he'll, he'll work. Do, uh, you know what? Are you, are you ever angry with your parents? Have you ever been angry with your parents? Honestly? Yeah? Growing up as a child, have you ever been angry with your parents? All right. Okay, good. I'm going to say no. So when, our, when you say, uh, uh, our father, does that not make him our parent? And Sometimes we get angry with them. We don't, might not always understand what's going on. But we resolve that anger. Anger itself is not a sin. It says be angry but do not sin. It's part of a relationship. And so she was angry with God. And then as time went by and she realized that it was through her blindness that her relationship with God improved. And it continued to improve. That when I met her, she said, you know, I was okay before, but I would not take away my experience of my blindness because of my current relationship with God. Sometimes those thorns in our flesh are God's way of allowing us to grow more strongly in His grace. Because He says... My grace is sufficient for you. You do not need anything else. His grace supplies it all. Everything you need to go through with whatever you are struggling with today, be it physical, financial, be it mental, be it spiritual, be it emotional, be it familial, be it whatever you are going through. His grace is sufficient. His grace is not weak. You are weak. We are weak. God's grace is not weak. Every day, we must rely on His grace. Else, what are you relying on? What are you holding on to if not His grace? Everything you do, every decision you make, trusting in His grace for success of everything, every failure you encounter, you need his grace because that changes your life. 
You know, I think it's considered a good thing because whenever we rely on God like that, then he is able to do marvelous things with us and that our lives then can be a testimony, a living sacrifice to others. That when other people see us and they are watching you, you may not think about it, and I'll say even young people, they are watching you. You are carrying this name of Christ, and they really want to find out from a distance if you are who you say Christ is. You hear that? If you are who you say Christ is, because if you are a Christian, people should see Christ in you. Sometimes you are the only Jesus some people will ever see. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. That commandment does not only relate to swearing. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. If you are called by his name, then you must clearly represent him. He is coming soon. And those who are his, he will take. This is not a time to play. This is a time for, for just trust in his grace and to live our lives as purely as we can. And when we fail, we have his grace. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, thank you so much. You are our, our, loving, our loving Father, our God, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer. Lord, I, I love you. I love you. You love us, and, and we haven't done anything, Lord, but even like a, a little baby, Lord, that has done nothing, but sometimes <laughs> it gives the parents more, more trouble, in, as it were, you know. They, they, we, we sometimes make a mess of ourselves, Lord. Sometimes we, we need to be cleaned up, but you know what? You love us anyway. You take care of us, and you hold us in your arms and you said, I'll take care of you. Lord, at which point did we grow up and say we didn't need you anymore? Lord, forgive us. Pour out your grace, your Holy Spirit on us. Change our hearts, our lives, our minds. Help us to stay submitted to you and trusting in you for all things. Bless us, Lord, for your name's honor and glory. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.